I got to be honest with you guys, I am really excited. You know, you know how uh, a little kid, when a little kid's excited, you, you can't tell if the kid's excited or needs to go to the bathroom, right? Like, <laughs> which is it, buddy? Which is it, right? right? I don't need to go to the bathroom. No, I don't. I just checked. So uh, I am just excited. I'm excited because I love the story we're going to be looking at this morning. It's one of my favorite stories, and, and I'm excited, but it usually gets me in the feels. So uh, it's, it's a great passage. One of the things going to happen here is we're looking at Luke. Luke is showing us Jesus. Jesus is showing us God. And we are going to see on full display the heart of Jesus, the heart of the gospel, and one thing that will come out of it is a contrast. Because there is a stark contrast between righteousness by repentance and righteousness by rules. One will lead towards rejoicing. The other leads towards rejecting. Righteousness by repentance leads to reckless worship of Jesus. But righteousness by rules leads towards being a religious jerk. I thought long and hard about that. I wanted to go PG, but it was tough, tough for me. But, but really, like, it just leads to being a jerk. And we'll see that in the story. Let's dig into it. I want to show you uh, the very first verse here coming out of Luke 7, verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Seems like I didn't deliver, right? It's not a great story so far. It's like, well, that's kind of uh, anticlimactic. Uh, here's the thing. What's going on? There's a Pharisee. Now, I want you to remember who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees, they were the, like the self-righteous, super spiritual, nitpicky, religious elitists. A lot of man-made rules. And they were pretty convinced that their poop don't stink. They knew they had it down religiously. They were totally judgy of everyone else out there. They were, their name means separated one. So their goal was to separate themselves from those who didn't do righteousness by rules, from the dirty, nasty people. And that's who the Pharisees are. Now, Jesus has a habit of butting heads with them. Nonetheless, the Pharisees had a habit of inviting notable people to dinner. And so Jesus is becoming famous, and so they're kind of like the religious jet set, right? The Pharisees, so they invite Jesus. Jesus takes them up on it and comes to dinner, which is kind of crazy because they have been buttonheads already. Already seven times in Luke, Jesus has just really nailed the Pharisees, and they're always up in his business. And so someone, you kind of expect Jesus to reject that invitation. But Jesus wants everybody's repentance, even Pharisees. In fact, the Apostle Paul, remember, he started out as a Pharisee. He repented, and his story went kind of well, right? So, so that's what Jesus is hoping for here. So he goes to dinner. Now, there's, for the story that's about to develop, I need you to know some details about what that would have looked like. First of all, when you enter the house, you would take your sandals off and leave them by the door. And then you would go to the table. Now, the table isn't like you think where there's a dinner table and you sit in a chair, but rather it would be a really low table down on the floor. And you can't pull a chair up to that. So what you would do, there would be pillows around the table. And you would lean on your left arm and eat with your right from this low table, which means you're laying on the floor. Your legs would stretch out behind you. So if you look down on it, it would be like a, a, a wheel, like the table's the hub, and then people's bodies would be spokes on the floor, spokes coming out, feet toward the wall. Now, the, the other thing I want you to have in mind is they would leave the door of the house open if they were welcoming uninvited guests, especially with somebody famous like this that's an honored guest. 
Look, back in that time, you can't go on Google. You can't turn on the TV. How do you get info? At a dinner like this. So if you're an, an uninvited guest, you were welcome to come in. You couldn't go to the table. You wouldn't eat. You would stand around the perimeter. You would stand at the wall, but that way you could listen to the important conversation taking place. So with that in mind, that is kind of what happens. So let's take a peek at this story, continuing in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of, on, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. There's some stunning things going on here and I don't want you to miss them. We're going to talk about who she is and then what she, what she did. First, let's talk about who she is. She's a woman. Back in that time and place, that was a problem. She would therefore be a second-class citizen. I know this is offensive to our modern sensibilities, but, but the reality is she, she could not own property. She could not vote. She could not even give testimony in court because she's a woman. We don't trust her word. See, so second class. And she would have been entering this room. She would have probably been the only woman in the room. But it's worse than that. She's a sinner. Nice. We're all sinners, right? No, 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 no. She's a sinner with a capital S. Okay, that is her identity. We'll see that here in just a little bit. There's other hints in the passage. A lot of scholars speculate she was probably a prostitute. Maybe a very well-known adulterer, but most probably a prostitute. And, and nonetheless, though, she has been impacted by Jesus' ministry prior to this, evidently. She's encountered Christ, and what she's learned is that you cannot out God's grace. That Jesus receives the dirty ones too. And she has learned that Jesus welcomes people just like her. In fact, he is building a band of followers of disciples, not out of Pharisees, but out of people like her. Broken, humble, messy, repentant sinners. And she has come to faith and she has come to repentance. And then she hears that this Jesus that welcomes dirty ones like her, that he's at table in the Pharisee's house. So she does some things. Let's talk about her actions. She runs home and she grabs an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, um, th this would be perfume. Probably the perfume that she used to entice men. Or maybe the perfume she used to cover up the stench of the men after she worked her trade. She grabs that and she runs to the Pharisee's house, and she enters there. Now, there, that was incredible, incredible courage. She goes in there to a dinner of all men, but remember, a dinner of all, like, devoutly, extremely religious men. To get a feel for what this might be like, I want you to imagine one who is a stripper or a porn star, prostitute, lives in a Muslim country, okay? One ruled by Sharia law. And this is a dinner of all Muslim imams. And that woman's going in. Incredible, incredible courage to crash that party. Because they know her. And she knows that they know her. And they know she is disgusting. She's defiled. She's dirty. 
She's despised. She's a whore. And yet, Jesus, I think, would say she's damaged. She's messy, and she's hurting, and she's abused, and she's confused. She needs a Savior. You know what she found? She found a Savior. And she's running to Him. Okay, But I want you to imagine, going in that room, she had to be nervous. Was she shaking? Was she sweating? Were her eyes downcast? Great courage to walk in there. And she walks in and she stands against the wall, evidently right at Jesus' feet, right there, standing over him. And she's overcome with repentance. There's the grace that Jesus would receive. I mean, she's standing there and she's, He is holy. I am not. He should reject me, but He does not. Instead, He welcomes me. He forgives me. And she's overwhelmed by it. And so she starts weeping. Like so much so that his feet get wet enough to dry them. Like these are not a few trickles of tears, right? This is the kind of sobbing where snot's flying out. You know, like she's just overcome and she is sobbing over Jesus' feet. This is an act of repentance. In worship, this is an act of a broken, humble, repentant sinner. And I'll tell you what, I hope that at some point in your life, you experience that. And you weep over your sin. I hope God gives you the gift of brokenness so that you weep over your sin and over the amazing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus. What a gift from God. This woman got it. And she wept. As she did, her tears fell on Jesus' feet and she realized, oh my goodness, I need to dry them, right? So what she does next is she kneels down at his feet and I forgot a towel. How am I going to? So she lets down her hair and uses her own hair as a towel to wipe the feet of Jesus. It's amazing. And then she starts kissing his feet. Um, not once, but we'll see. She's peppering them with kisses. And then she remembers the alabaster flask. And that would have been a, um, an ointment made out of olive oil with smelly stuff in it, aromatic stuff. I know, I just, that was dude talk, right? Okay. So <clears throat> uh, what that would have been is spices, myrrh, extract of nard, things like this. It would be sealed in an alabaster flask, probably break the neck to release it. The point is, this is the expensive stuff, right? The stuff in the tiny bottle. Like some of you, like us, you probably have teenagers and they get that can of Axe body spray, cheap stuff, right? And it's just raining in their room, right? It's all over the place. And it's because it's cheap. You throw it out, you open another, no big. No, this is the little bottle stuff, okay? Most expensive perfume in the world is number one by Clive Christian. $3,500 for an amount that much very pricey. This is the good stuff in the little bottle. What that means is this is expensive, extravagant, reckless worship. This is generous worship. This is passionate, humble, public. I don't care who sees. This is Jesus. This is raw worship. She's weeping. She's falling at his feet. She's wiping. She's kissing his feet, anointing his feet. What courage. What courage to enter the Pharisee's house. She knows what they think of people like her. She knows that they know what kind of person she is. And yet, she goes in anyway. Why? She's desperate. 
She's desperate for Jesus. She's running to Jesus with reckless abandon, and she does not care who sees. What about you? Are you so hung up on what people think and what they say and what they see, or do you care about what Jesus thinks and what He says? Would you run to Him with reckless abandon? That's what she does. And it's gorgeous. It's such a beautiful story. But not everyone's going to think so. Some people, not a fan. Let's continue in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Oh, Simon. Simon, Simon, you ought to run, buddy. Uh, unfortunately, this is what Pharisees do. Listen, we ought to, in this moment, cheer. We ought to rejoice. This is like the most broken sinner in our town. And she's repenting. She's worshiping Jesus. Look at Jesus' art. Do you see what he does? That is awesome. No. No, that's not their response at all. They do righteousness by rules, not by repentance. And this woman has not kept the rules. So she is nasty. She is unacceptable. She is rejectable. Remember, the Pharisees are separated ones. they got to get away from her. So they'll reject her, not rejoice. And Jesus, Jesus wants repentant people. He does righteousness by repentance. And that's what he's all against uh, about. But the, the Pharisees, they're against that. They do righteousness by rules, and so they want to get away from her. They're offended by her. They're offended by her show of worship. Because remember, righteousness by rules, it leads to being a religious jerk every time. And, and so here it is. And so the Pharisees are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this can't be right. This can't be right. The reason they think it's not right is because just back in verse 16, that's when the crowds declare that Jesus is a great prophet who's arisen among us. And so they go, wait a minute, if he's a prophet, then he ought to know how nasty she is. The thing is, he does know. We'll see in a bit. He knows. She's got many, many sins. He knows she's repugnant. And you know what? I'm being honest. She is. She's repugnant. And so am I. And Jesus took us both. I still don't get it. I don't. He knows how horrible of a sinner she is. That she, He'll say she has many sins. And yet, the Pharisees add an assumption. And the assumption is this, that if Jesus actually knew how repugnant he is, she is, then he would, of course, reject her. And that's where they went wrong. It's not that he didn't know. Their assumption was wrong. Because here's the thing. What if? What if being holy means moving toward broken people, not away from them? See the difference? What if being holy means moving toward broken people, not away from them? And Jesus gets it, and the Pharisees don't. So what Jesus does is he totally decimates Simon's argument. I don't know if you caught how that went down. So not only does he prove, yeah, I know what kind of woman she is, 
But notice, Simon didn't say that. He thought it. And so Jesus responded to Simon's thoughts. He says, buddy, I even know what you're thinking. Bam. Okay, like, game, set, match. Right there. Like, he's, he's obviously, he's got game. And so, at that point, he should have been warned. Like, don't, don't tangle with Jesus. Like, dude, don't get in the octagon with Jesus. That ain't going to end well for you, right? And so, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Run. Simon, don't run, man. Run, don't do it. Say it, teacher. Oh, buddy, here it comes. Here it comes. So we continue in verse 41. Jesus is going to tell him a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon, you should have tapped out, brother. Uh, now, now Jesus has you in a rear naked choke. Uh, and it is not going well for you. You know what? It's worse than a rear naked choke. Jesus has you in a math word problem. Right, like for some of the, this is your nightmare right here. So this is word problems for you. This is how I see math word problems. If you have four pencils and I have seven apples, how many pancakes will fit on the roof? (laughs) Purple because aliens don't wear hats, right? Like that's right. How many of you can relate to that? You there? Okay. So now this is your nightmare. It's not just that. Jesus is the one giving the quiz. Can you imagine if getting into heaven means you have to answer a math word problem to Jesus? You're all going to hell. Right, right, you're done. Oh, geez. All right, so, so now Jesus is throwing down the math word problem. And so he's going to break it down for him. And here's what I want you to understand from it. A denarius is a silver coin that was uh, equal to about a day's wages for a common labor. So 500 denarii would be roughly about two years' wages. Uh, 50 would be roughly two months wages, just for comparison. So if you make, I don't know how much you people make, $50,000 a year, that means the one that is, the bigger one, is $100,000. That's a big one. But the other one's still over eight grand. Like, that's still a big debt, right? In, In fact, what he points out is both of them are burdensome. The average Israelite could not pay back either of those. Notice in this, they can't, neither one can pay it back. And therefore, the result is the same. Both would go to debtor's prison or become indentured servants like a form of slavery till it's paid off. You see, neither can pay. doesn't matter the amount. They're both sunk. That's the point. Jesus is saying that Simon and the sinful woman are the same. The difference of amount is simply details. Both are in trouble. And their only hope is grace. Righteousness by rules won't work. Simon is under the spiritual delusion that he can work harder and pay that debt off. No. No. Their only hope is righteousness by repentance. Their only hope is grace and mercy that their debt would be forgiven. And so they are in the same amount of need. The only real difference is how much they will love Jesus. As a result, that's it. And so Simon is not very good at math either. So Jesus is going to break it down for him, continuing in verse 44. 
Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What's going on here is the very clear contrast between righteousness by rules and righteousness by repentance. And it matters because it comes out in actions. One leads towards being a religious jerk, but the other leads towards reckless worship of Jesus. And that's what's going on there. There's a contrast of actions going on. Like, like look at Simon's actions. He is being a religious jerk. You maybe didn't catch it. He is snubbing and dissing Jesus from the moment he entered his house. He's not treating him as an honored guest. There's some things that ought to have been done. First, you wash the people's feet. You're about to lay on a ground around each other and eat dinner. Your feet are nasty, okay? You wear sandals. There's no pavement there, okay? It's dirt and mud and dust and animals, stuff between your toes. You want to wash those feet before you enter the house. Okay, so either the owner of the house would do it or really he'd usually have a servant do it. At the very least, you provide water so somebody can wash their own feet. Nope. Jesus, you can have dirty feet, bud. And then you offer a kiss. Now, this is not sexual in any way. I live in Kent and go to the Starbucks there. A lot of international students, I'll see them come in sometimes. And it's a cheek-to-cheek kiss and then the other cheek kiss in the air. And I see dudes greeting themselves that way, Okay. It's just a cultural thing. They would have done that back then. It's, uh, the equivalent is our shaking hands. So you imagine Jesus comes in the house and puts out his hand to shake his hand. Nope. Left him hanging on purpose. And then the olive oil would be given to freshen yourself up, to anoint your head before dinner. Very standard, customary things. Simon is dissing Jesus. And you know what I love? I love that Jesus never mentioned it at all until Simon was going after this dear little sister of his. And now the gloves are coming off. That's what Simon does. Now this woman, by contrast, goes for reckless worship. It's not just that she did these things. It's how she did these things. It's crazy. She not only washes her feet, but she does it with her tears and her hair. It's crazy. And then she kisses his feet. If, if you notice, it hasn't ceased kissing. So it's not one kiss. She's peppering them with kisses. And two different words are used. There's a kiss that is the customary handshake greeting. And then there's one that is affectionate. Not sexual, but this would be like a mother kissing her child. She's just kissing Jesus' feet like that over and over. And then she anoints his feet with that olive oil, with that very expensive perfume. Very different actions, but they flow from two very different hearts. It starts with a difference of righteousness by rules or righteousness by repentance. You see, because they had, Simon and this woman had the exact same data, the same information about Jesus. They responded very differently. It was a heart tissue. One was overwhelmed, one was unimpressed with Jesus. 
One rejoiced, one was rejecting, one went towards reckless worship, the other went towards being a religious jerk. But not lack of knowledge, difference of heart. This represents two very different ways of approaching Jesus. And I want to make sure that everyone at Redemption Chapel gets this. Okay, So look at this list, if you will. Hey there, one is righteousness by rules, the other is righteousness by repentance. One is going to focus on law, work harder, be good. The other one focuses on grace. One focuses on self-righteousness, the other on Jesus' righteousness. One is where I've got my religious stuff together, the other one is I'm just broken. One is where church is a country club for the religious elite, for the really nice, pretty Christian people. The other is where church is a hospital for messy, broken sinners to come connect with Jesus. One is the idea that God is so lucky to have me. The other one is, I am so lucky to have God, and I still don't get it. I have no idea. I just don't get it. Martin Luther had a great way of summing this up. I love this quote from him. He said, Sinners are loved not because they're beautiful, but they are beautiful because they are loved. Catch that? It's not that she's beautiful and therefore Jesus felt compelled to love her. No, he loved her and he made her beautiful. It's very different. It's very different. This woman gets it and it leads towards reckless worship. And I absolutely love that. This is the heart of Jesus on display today. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our church, Redemption Chapel. We welcome broken, messy, humble, repentant sinners all the time. We tick off the Pharisees, and I'm totally okay with it because Jesus was okay with it. You know why? You know why I'm okay with it? Listen, I do not want to do church without Jesus. I I have no interest in church without Jesus. To explain what I mean by that, look at this quote by a scholar named Robert Tannehill. On this passage, he said, this lesson we must learn if Jesus is to be our guest. For when Jesus comes to our homes, the sinful woman comes too. It is a package deal. We can't accept Jesus without accepting the outcast whom Jesus forgives. Not as a second-class citizen in the church, but as one whose experience is vital to our own understanding of God. I don't want church without Jesus. And if you don't want uh, the sinful woman and her reckless worship, I have a very simple solution for you. Don't invite Jesus. Because if you invite Jesus, she's coming. And so am I. Jesus is all about righteousness by repentance. And he builds a church out of women like that, not out of Pharisees. <laughs> and let, I want you to see how Jesus ends this little conversation. He continues and he says, Therefore, I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me point out a few things Jesus said there. He said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Yep. He knows exactly who she is. He knows how disgusting and repugnant, absolutely. He knows she has a huge, huge mountain of debt. But here's the thing. Her debt would never be forgotten. It would be paid by Jesus. When he receives her, he receives her knowing he himself, that mountain of debt of hers would be put on his shoulders on the cross. He would pay it gladly for her. He knows how great her sin is, and he knows he will have to pay it. And I hope you don't miss this. (laughs) Jesus explicitly says that her sins are forgiven and made no mention of Simon. Because righteousness by rules doesn't work. Never has. And then what he says to her at the end, he says, go in peace. Which means she is going to be a changed woman. Now, yes, she has tons of baggage. Yes, it's going to take time. But sanctification will be progressive over years. Appealing back the layers. I get that. But true repentance always leads towards change. I told you before that Jesus has enough compassion to receive you just as you are. But he also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. You think Jesus wants to receive this dear little sister of ours and then leave her as a prostitute? No. Of course there's going to be change over time. I'll tell you what. There were two sinners in that room, Simon and this woman, and only one of them went away more holy. It wasn't Simon. Righteousness by rules doesn't lead to growth, but repentance does. And this woman got it, And she exploded in reckless worship. It's breathtaking. I love her story. It's my story. I hope it's your story. I hope God grants you an incredible gift of just wasted brokenness so that you can understand the depths of grace, so that you can understand righteousness by repentance, not rules. And I hope and I pray that it leads to reckless worship in your life, that you would love much. I hope it comes out as we sing on Sunday mornings. I hope it comes out as you go on our website and download the music you worship throughout the week. I hope it comes out as you pray throughout your days. I hope it comes out in reckless worship to Jesus. I'll tell you what, I love this story. I love it because I love my Lord. I love his heart. I love his gospel. I love righteousness by repentance. And it's right at the heart of our church. Our church loves this stuff. We called it Redemption Chapel for a reason. We love redemption in Christ. We will celebrate it. We, We will rejoice over it. We will always point toward it. We will never stop. If you cut us, we bleed redemption. And I'll tell you what, if you're a Pharisee, you got three choices. You can, and I hope you will, repent. But if not, pretty soon you'll probably leave this church, because I'll tick you off. Probably take me two sermons. We'll be done. Or your third option is you all better fire me. Because as long as I'm the pastor here, come hell or high water, we will love this stuff. 
We will love our Lord. We will love his gospel. And we will love that woman. His gospel is definitely something worth cheering over. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. And our breath is taken away because we just got a very clear peek into your heart, into what you're about, into your gospel, into your glory, into your grace. And we are in awe and we love it. And yet, if we're honest, all of us has a little bit of the Pharisee within us. We want to repent of that right now. We don't want to be religious jerks. We don't want to be judgy anymore. Lord, we just want to rejoice in what you are doing in this world. And we want to be holy, which means we want to go toward brokenness, not away from it. We also want to realize that we're all debtors. The amount is insignificant in its difference. We all just need grace, Lord. We need, we need righteousness by repentance. And we need you to move in our lives. And I pray that you would, and I pray that you would lead us to respond with reckless worship right now, that we would not hold back, but we would sing out gladly to you. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen.